Refugee Radio, 855 AM, 3CR. We want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR, listening on 855 AM or on 3cr.org.au. We're going to be listening to an episode from Women on the Line, which airs on 3CR every Monday between 8.30 and 9am. This is going to have two interviews. The first one is from the Tamil Refugee Council with updates from their projects and campaigns. And after that, there will be an interview around the Freedom Street, a documentary of lived experiences and stories from people seeking refuge who are stuck in Indonesia due to the Australian border force policies. Please have a listen and enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, Nam, on Wurundjeri country. And it's broadcast across the Community Radio Network. And I'm Shahrazad Blue, and welcome back to our show. In today's episode, we'll hear two conversations about the impacts of Australia's border policy regime. Firstly, we'll hear an interview with Ranuga Inpakumar, a spokesperson and activist for the Tamil Refugee Council. We then head to Indonesia, where we speak with Nora Ziza, who speaks to us about her lived experience as a Rohingya refugee. In Australia, the COVID-19 pandemic has significantly impacted the lives of people on temporary protection visas, who don't have the same access to resources as citizens and permanent residents. Many have been in detention and face uncertainty in limbo and deportation. Renuga Inpakumar, a spokesperson and activist for the Tamil Refugee Council, spoke with Genevieve from 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast about the current threat of deportation that thousands of Tamil refugees currently face in Australia. Could you tell us a little bit about the council um, and what its aims are for the refugee community? Yep. So the Tamil Refugee Council is the voice of Tamil refugees in Australia. So TRC engages in media liaison, individual advocacy, educational work and campaigning for the rights of individuals and the refugee population as a whole. So much of our work involves raising awareness of the particular challenges facing um, that Tamil people face in the community and to also try and change the Australian refugee policy because it needs to be changed. Um, We educate people about the history of Tamil oppression and the ongoing oppression that we face from the Sri Lankan government. And we have connections in Indonesia, Malaysia, India, and the United Kingdom and other countries. And we participate in the global struggle for Tamil rights. Concentrating, I guess, on the pandemic and I guess the huge toll that the pandemic has taken on everyone, but especially refugees. Um, Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what kind of issues and hardships 
that uh, refugees and more specifically Tabil refugees have been facing during the pandemic? Yeah. So I feel the pandemic now has created a massive toll on Tamil refugees and um, other refugees in the community um, because you know, you got refugees who are released from detention. Whilst being released from detention is really good. Um, these refugees are placed on visas such as temporary protection visas, which, you know, causes refugees to live life um, in limbo, not knowing what where the future, you know, holds. And so, you know, having a pandemic and having to work tirelessly just to gain money is so difficult. Um, and this COVID pandemic, you know, they're away from family. And now that we're in severe lockdown in New South Wales, most of the Tamil community here can't see each other. So we don't have that support network. And it's sad because you've got people who have extreme mental health issues in the Tamil community. And, you know, having to watch Afghanistan um, during the pandemic causes another, you know, fear in the Afghanistan community. And they have so many refugees in their community. So it's just, I feel the COVID pandemic, it has not supported refugees in any sort of way. And it is another form of detention for these refugees. And, you know, it just causes more problems in their life, added stress. So I feel like the COVID pandemic, it has caused refugees to really has put a toll on their lives. If anything, the what we've learned from the pandemic is that it's amplified any sort of issues that were already existing. And for the refugee Definitely. yeah, community, um, I can't imagine what it's been like. And I guess it would be traumatising seeing what's happening with Afghanistan at the moment and uh, Australia's blatant reluctance to kind of go in mm-hmm. there and help the most vulnerable. Yeah, it's funny when Scott Morrison kind of says that he has great sympathy for the Afghan population, but you've got Afghan uh, refugees who are in detention for more than seven years. And you've got, you know, since 2002, Afghan youths have tried to draw awareness. You know, it's, it's just terrible. And I just wanted to say my deepest condolences to your community and the passing of Kanishwaran Krishna Pillay. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, what were some of the struggles that Kanishwaran was facing as a refugee And do you think these struggles are felt amongst others in the Tamil community? So Kanish Warren, I think he's an individual that kind of, he highlighted what the Tamil community go through every single day. And that is that these refugees are placed in detention first for a long time. You've got refugees placed in detention for eight years. Then once they are released, they're handed a TPV or CHEV visa. And even that, that just causes another added stress to their life. And so you got Connor Swarren, who's he worked as a cleaner and he was trying to support his three children and wife, and he was the breadwinner. And having all that stress causes, like, you know, psychological suffering. Um, and this is basically because of the Australians' cruel, inhumane refugee policy. Um, and he, he really, I think, what had happened, it was just, and it was like nothing new that we've experienced as a community. It was, it was just very devastating for us. And it was more devastating that uh, no mainstream media had put coverage on it, you know, so it's very hidden from the outside community. So no one really knows what refugee communities face. And, you know, he fled Sri Lanka trying to seek a better life. Um, But sadly, he didn't receive it. And that's the truth that us Tamil people go through, is that Whilst we have so many individuals in our community trying to flee from Sri Lanka, they are placed behind bars. And even when they're released from detention, um, they're still, you know, I guess, discriminated against from the Australian um, government. 
um, not receiving the adequate treatment they need, not receiving adequate medical help, um, which just causes more suicide um, situations to occur in our community. In terms of the Australian government, you know, obviously we've talked about the continued blatant disregards they have for the well-being of refugees, but I guess in a ideal situation and what the council is pushing for the government to do, um, what do you hope the Australian government will do for refugees, um, especially in these times of hardship? Jeez, they could do so much um, for these refugees. Like, I firstly think that the Australian government needs to follow the law. They're not doing that. So you've got like the Migration Act 1958. They're not following that. No way. They've got people who are kept in detention for so long after, you know, the UN working group have commented on their treatment towards refugees. Um, And you've also got, I think, both parties, Labor and Liberal, who have blatantly just ignored what the community is trying to tell them. And I was really happy that after the situation with the Murugapan family, that people have realized that it is both parties that have caused problems for us as a community and for many refugees. And I think that the government needs to actually in the nicest way that I can say is kind of step off their high horse you don't have to be nice (laughs) um, step off their um, high horse and I think read the cases go to the detention centers meet these individuals they're not terrorists no these are individuals who have left their family trying to seek freedom and I think it's I find it extremely upsetting when you've got Minister Alex Hawke saying oh Sri Lanka is safe no it's not it's not safe it never was since 1948 we have been experiencing persecution and it's just outrageous when I've got an individual trying to say that it's safe and it's not a civil war it was a planned systemic genocide and I think that's what I think the government needs to be educated in what we went through and be educated that they need to actually help us and also um, seeking asylum by boat is not criminal it is the only form that in, um, refugees can seek asylum when trying to flee persecution. And, you know, I've, I'm not going to be surprised when um, you've got many Afghan individuals coming by boat pretty soon and the Australian government is going to ignore that, but that is the only form that they can come because there are no planes there for them to come. And I think that, also, that taboo of um, seeking asylum as a crime needs to be demolished because it's not just so condescending the fact that especially a Western country who exacerbates a lot of Mm. uh, issues in international politics and then refuses to kind of take responsibility for those problems. Yes. And especially when they've, you know, helped the Sri Lankan government kind of, uh, you know, do the genocide, they've provided five aerial drones, they've provided personal protection equipment to the Sri Lankan government Um, But we all know as a Tamil community that this equipment and use of um, information will just stop stop Tamil refugees coming uh, here, which is just, yeah, I feel like the Australian government has, I feel like the Australian government has a lot of blood on their hands because that's what it looks like, yeah. And just for our listeners that might want to, you know, read a bit more or reach out and support, where can they go? Definitely go on um, the Facebook Tamil Refugee Council. We're always releasing media releases and kind of updating the wider community what happens in our community and maybe giving us a message if you would like to be involved because we have monthly meetings. So if you'd like to be involved, just let us know.
You were just listening to Renuga Inpakumar, a spokesperson and activist for the Tamil Refugee Council, who spoke with Genevieve from 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you have been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Still within the context of Australia's border policy regime, we'll turn further afield to Indonesia. The current majority of refugees and asylum seekers in Indonesia intended to pass through quickly en route to a final destination, and that's most commonly Australia. Instead, due to shifting immigration policies, people end up being stuck for years with little support and little opportunities to integrate in the Indonesian society. Unable to go home, people wait and hope for resettlement as well as face the revolving door of detention. As of March 2021, there were approximately 13,700 refugees and asylum seekers in Indonesia. The challenges they face reveal the regional impacts of this hardline border management. Their stories also eliminate impacts of uncertainty and indefinite transit on the lives and well-being of people fleeing conflict, often in relation to Western interventions. From the war in Afghanistan to the extractivist opportunities capitalised by Western multinational companies in Rakhine province in Myanmar. And Rakhine province is the homeland of a minoritised ethnic group, the Rohingya people, who have fled the country due to ethnic cleansing, persecution and violence. And so we now hear an interview with Noor Aziza, who is one of three people stuck in Makassar, Indonesia, featuring in Freedom Street, which is a documentary on their stories and also deconstructs Australia's border policies. And Aziza joined us from Indonesia to share her story. And so firstly, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Uh, I'm Aziza. I was born at 2001 and now I'm living in Indonesia. So while living in Indonesia, I'm kind of a person who loves to learn many things, who loves to learn and to know about many things. And I'm, I still fight for my own freedoms and also I still fight to learn many things and how to be a free person like others in the world. And so you're, you're currently in uh, Makassar. How did you get there? Can you tell us a bit about your, your journey and life in Indonesia? At 2011, uh, at the end of 2011, my father was living to Australia. So at that time he was living alone and he lived uh, and he went to Indonesia alone. So in that time uh, I, I'm, I stayed in Malaysia with my stepmom and my brothers. So we stayed there until we got news that my father was arrested in Indonesia when he was going to Australia. And then he has to be in the jail for almost eight months and then after my the day we listened that my father get into the jail of indonesia my stepmom left me and my brother on the streets and she left and she went away so i have to stay with my uh, father friends until a years and then after years after my father get released from from the detention center uh, he moved. He moved to one city with the name of Medan. So he was moved there, and after two or three months, 
me and my brother, we crossed the sea, Indonesian and Malaysian border. We crossed the sea and we we went to Medan to meet my father. When we arrived there, we stayed there for almost a years. But in that time, only my father was receiving uh, help from IOM. And also in that time, my father was the only refugee. So me and my brother, we are not a refugee. We are not accepted as a refugee. We didn't have any case number or file. And also we don't receive any help from anyone. Uh, so we stayed like that for almost a year until then. Suddenly my father decided to go to Australia again. So we leave that city and we went to Jakarta. When we was in Jakarta, uh, we was in the in the home of uh, someone of an agent who will take us to Australia. And while waiting for that, we also went to Unisior Jakarta to to process our case that I can have a I can get not. I can get an identity card as a refugee, as a migrant there. So while we was waiting there, we waited there for almost three months. And then in that in that time, we heard that many people drowned in the sea. They died. And, you know, it was so scary for me, but I have no any other way. Because in that time, I, I'm not helped by anyone. And then, yeah, in that time, everyone is moving to Australia. So they are moving by boat. So... I just said that okay. If I arrive, we will arrive. If not arrive, so maybe we will die on the in the sea, in the ocean. And but when we was going from, but the agent they transfer us to another city, uh, Makassar, and they said that we will take you from Makassar city to from this Makassar ocean to Australian ocean. So. We went there for almost two weeks, and then suddenly, uh, uh, immigration police they catch us, they arrested us, and then we even couldn't, in, we couldn't even go by boat. That they arrested us, and then they take us from that. We was in the Makassar, but we was out of the city. It, we, it's like village, uh, far from, like six hours from us, far from Makassar. So we was there, and then they take us from that village. And then they take us in the Makassar city. So they, uh, they take us to uh, immigration office. And then from there we have a case, like we process, we get help from IOM. Uh, we get an accommodation, a shelter, and health uh, allowance from IOM. And it was 2013. At the end of 2013 it was. And then now, so here I am. Uh, from that time until now, 2021, I'm still here in Makassar. As you were speaking about uh, when the the authorities, Indonesian authorities, detained not only your father but then uh, yourselves uh, on your way to try and get to Australia. You also talk about this in the recent article that you published um, or that um, where you talk about life as a stateless person and the realities of detention. Um, can you can you expand on this a little bit more? Uh, yeah. Uh, in, I was talking about stateless person and reality of the system because um, me myself as a, a stateless person, I see I see myself as a ball that everyone can kick me whenever they don't want me. So 
I'm passed here, there, here, there as a as a football, and sometimes uh, if yeah, I, we have no any mistakes. Our mis our mistake is only that we seek for our own freedoms. We seek for our rights as a human beings, and then we have to be in detention deten in detention center just because we are seeking our own freedoms. We are seeking for our own human rights. Uh, of being human being so the life is so hard for a migrants for a person who don't have a country for me and I, I also have no country where now I cannot deport myself anywhere because there is no one to accept me there is no one to accept me I have no way to come to go back behind I have no way to to deport myself I have no way and I have no land I have nothing I'm just like a paper, like alone, a lonely paper that can be teared anytime and can be gone anytime that no one remember me or no one even remember who I am I just because of my this kind of status that I have, a stateless status that no one remember me. As you've been talking, it's showed the realities of Australia's border policies. And as we know, Australia's border policies has created a life in limbo for many people uh, stuck in transit countries like Indonesia. Often in the media, in the Australian media, we hear about borders and policies in really abstract ways, but often the realities we don't hear about as much. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about this from your perspective. I do agree that Australian border ha policies has made a, a lot of, you know, a life limbo for people. But because they are doing this kind of uh, policies, now everyone, they should stuck in the Indonesia without knowing any details, without, sometimes some people, there many people, they died because of hopeless. Some they, people, they died they die, they die because of sickness, but most of them because of hopeless. And then uh, now everyone just thinking like w when we are we will go when we can have a good futures uh, what we can dream like you know every human have a wish like even I I have a wish that I want to study I want to work I want to learn and also I want to be like educated person I want to be I I I'm a, a woman with a, a lot of dreams that I want to have a good career in the futures. I want to be, a, and also I want to be a someone, a public speakers that I can speak for other person that, you know, there's someone, there's something on my, my head that I like to talk about justice. Like I write, I like to raise up my voice just to speak for the truth and reality. But because of Australian border policies now, not only me, but for other 14,000 people, they are stuck here. And all of them are just dreaming that, oh, one day, when? When will be the day that we can go out? We can uh, have our dreams when we can do this, we can do that. That's all from my perspective. And also, some people, they don't realize it because... Uh, Australian, they have, they have, before they, I listened that the Australia have, uh, they have said that we will try to take all of you uh, with uh, aeroplane way, in the polite way, 
by passport, something like that. I listen it. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think I get, I guess I heard that three or four or four or five years ago. So it was a new hope, but after it's past four years, and I think that oh no, Australian, they are just playing with us. They just keep us like this. I think they will keep us until I died here. They will keep me until I died here. If I follow uh, a laws, like if you follow the laws that every country have a border, every country have a borders, mm. and then sometimes we cannot uh, across the border without a passport. Even like uh, other country, we cannot uh, across the country without a border. When we do it, it's illegal, and they will uh, sudden, they will directly they will arrest us because of that, because they will say that you don't have any identity card, you are not from here. What are you doing here? What are you doing inside of my country? You you also you were talking a bit before about your studies, um, and uh, you used to have a YouTube channel. Um, you know, you're doing some cool things despite you know your situation. I was just wondering if you want to if you could talk a bit more about the ways in which you resist and stay strong. I'm uh, I'm kind of person who has ambitions. Uh, I have uh, ambitions from I was kids. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. I want to fight for for uh, justice. And I love speaking. I love speaking in public. Like I like to talk much. So, but because of uh, position where I am now, I'm yeah. I'm a bit stuck that I cannot study. I cannot continue my studies. And one thing I do, I'm doing here, uh, I improve my English. I'm trying to improve my English. I try to be active uh, in the, as a public speaker to speak. And the thing that makes me strong is when I can be in somewhere in the place that I can talk uh, without being afraid. Like in here, I can talk whatever I think without being afraid to anyone. Uh, I, I always motivate myself that, uh, I said to myself that, Aziza, you are a strong woman. You fight from many problems. You fight from the uh, gender discrimination. As a female, you face this one. You are a broken home. You don't have father and mothers. You don't have country. You are stateless. And now you are alone and you are facing this, you are facing that, you are facing many kind of problems. And, and, and congrats to you that today you are still alive. You didn't give up. You didn't give up. And you are a very strong woman. And I believe that if you keep fight for it now, fight for your own freedom now, you will, you will find your destination one day. You know, there is after a, a dark night, there will be always a bright day. So I believe in this word that, okay, today it might be so dark for me, but I believe that after this, a bright day is coming for me. And I wish that for my, from my own experience that I have, I'm ready to face the future. You, you know, you're talking about freedom a lot. Can can you talk about what it means to you? What 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 do you see freedom as? 
I know we talked about it before we started the interview a little bit as well, but um, what, what's freedom for you? Freedom for me is when I can raise up my voice for for the justice. Yeah, when I can raise up my voice for the justice, where I can help others, people who, who need more than me, where I I am able to speak to speak and say the truth. Whenever I, I am I'm I'm not being able to attack by anyone. It seems like we have no any power, we have no any right to speak up what we want, what we what our heart wants. There is no word to to explain how many how much freedom means to me because it's mean everything. And you were just listening to Aziza who is speaking about her lived experience as a Rohingya refugee stuck in Indonesia, who features in in the Freedom Street documentary that will be launched next year. You can find out more about the documentary at freedomstreetfilm.com and you can search for them on all social media platforms. At the moment, the film produces a fundraising for the documentary. All donations are tax deductible and can be made on their fundraising page documentaryaustralia.com.au forward slash project forward slash freedom dash street. So you've been listening to Refugee Radio this week on 3CR. We'll put up some information and links about the interviews that we played from the women on the line episode. Again, the last one that we just heard from was around the Freedom Street documentary about the lived experiences of refugees in Indonesia. And before that, we heard an interview from the Tamil Refugee Council. Thanks for listening. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.